Hi, this is Mike Ross, public address announcer for your Toronto Maple Leafs, and this is the Leafs Late Night Podcast, your post-game destination. And now, your starting lineup, Roscoe, the Fanalist, Southey, Beaner, and Darty Brodeur on the Leafs Late Night Podcast. Oh, well, it's a good thing there is one player who is, without a doubt, night in and night out consistent on the Leafs, and that is Austin Matthews, who now sits at 37 goals in 43 games. That's insane. That is absolutely bonkers. Man's got four hat tricks and a total of 71 multi-goal games now, and sits fourth all-time, I think for uh, Leafs hat-tricks. Awesome matches, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, and um, honestly, you know, he's really setting the bar for what that kind of money should get you. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to discredit anybody, uh, Nylander specifically, but I think a lot of these guys are starting to say, oh, well, they got, you know, double-digit, million dollar deal so i should get that too because i'm really good and i feel like there needs to be sort uh, sort of a reset on the difference between really good and like top five in the league because i think they're the only people that really under the current 87 million next year that the cap's going to be you know in order to build a team that works there's only a few people that can make that kind of money feasibly and deserve to if you know we're putting a limit on it and austin matthews has surely made a case that he is one of the few that deserves the money he is making. Now, I'm not saying Nylander doesn't. He could turn it back on uh, as he was the first part of the season. Uh, he's got eight more years of this, so we'll see how that shakes out. But, uh, I mean, there's two other guys that are making double digits on this team. And, I mean, if the bar is Austin Matthews' play, I I know it's a couple million more based on his extension, but I don't know. He seems more than a couple million better right now. Well, yes and no. Like we're with with regards to Nylander, he like there's been what six, seven games this season, maybe that he hasn't got a point. Like the guy has been insane this year. Yes, it's probably not warranting the eleven. What did he sign for? Eleven five. Eleven five for eight years, and that is going to hurt down the road. But at the same but time, happy for him. He earned it. This is also like what happens with Bettman's NHL, right? Yes, but we are the only just to just to because that is usually our excuse. And I do want to kind of pull it away from Nylander a bit because I think he has been playing well. Um, I don't think Mitch has been playing bad this year, but it is an off year for him, we'll say. Uh, And now JT is at like 10 games in a row without a goal. So. Um, I think those, that's kind of where the, the focus of my point is going. Um, I don't think people would be screaming to trade Mitch if he wasn't making as much as he is. Um, I think the difference, like, yes, he's a, an absolutely wildly creative playmaker. The passes he makes are insane. The, the puck possession he's able to maintain is crazy. Um, his patience is fantastic, but I, it's just hard to swallow the dollar value um, right now. I think when you when you compare them to the actual like goal output and throwing the entire team on their back when you know all seems lost, like that's yes, Mitch got a a goal tonight, but really Matthews gets that crown. And I don't know. It's just I guess my point is if what. Um, Nathan McKinnon did to the Leafs the other night and what Connor McDavid's doing right now, pulling the Oilers to 19 of 22 games. I think they've won now with 12 in a row and Matthews is doing, you know what he's doing with with his goal scoring this year. I think that kind of needs to be what making North of 10 million looks like. And uh, I I think some of these guys got to stop expecting it. Um, This wasn't supposed to be an attack on JT or, or Mitch or Willie. It was more about like, avoiding this being the standard set across the league until we see a significant jump in the cap, because you're seeing a lot of teams that are, you know, not able to fill out the rest of the roster. And that brings us to the conversation about the Leafs the last couple of weeks. But like 
th- this is what basically this is what was to- like said was going to happen when the cap came out is you're going to have fans more concerned about dollar amounts than the actual players on the team. And oh, for sure. Like players are signing these deals. Like, so Willie, it, it, it's so hard to predict. Like if there wasn't a pandemic, I don't think we'd be talking about Mitch making 11. Like, yes, it's still a lot of money, but the cap would be way higher than it is right now. Yeah. And that's been my, my go-to explanation for it. And I think it's definitely a huge portion of it, but I mean, he's not the only one who signed a deal that year that was talented. Like, I mean, I can go back and, and pull up other people, but I feel like nobody got paid that much money except for him. But then there's also the other factors. Like everybody tries to to compare Kachuk. Like, oh, well, he signed for less just to stay in Florida. Well, what he signed in Florida is completely different than what you sign up here. And I know that's taxes, blah, blah, blah. It's not league controlled. But there is factors like that that have to come into play. And yeah, I like, okay, it would be nice to be able to ride a golf cart to the practice arena every day and never have to wear pants when you're at your home arena. Like you can always just wear shorts and flip-flops. But at the same time, I would much rather be shoveling my driveway playing for a Canadian team than living in Florida all year round. No, and honestly, to counter my own point that I made, Artemi Panarin did sign uh, that year for seven years, 81 and a half. So, I mean, yeah, I guess there were people that got paid that year. Um, otherwise, I'm looking elsewhere. Matt Duchesne signed 756. Sergei Bobrovsky signed a seven times 10. So there were players that were signed with that expectation of the cap going up. And, you know, obviously it didn't. So I guess it's not totally fair to say that that Mitch was overpaid compared to Panarin. Um, he got a little less and rightfully so, but ah, fuck. I guess just hindsight, it sucks now. I don't know. Yeah, and, and that's basically what all this is. Like realistically, yeah, maybe a million here, a million there higher than what they should have been compared to what they were doing when the contracts were signed. But when you look at the bigger picture, like there's 31 other teams in the NHL that would kill to have Marner on their team right now. Oh, and I know other teams offered it. And again, this wasn't supposed to be the the point that I was making. It was more that, you know, I come off this game watching Matthews absolutely dominate when the team has been absolutely not dominating. And I just can't help but see you know that's what we're paying him for and um and again i just i just don't want like we saw a couple years ago a couple d signed for nine million and then all of a sudden everyone got nine million so now it's looking like some of those contracts are fantastic like adam fox and some of them aren't so nice like darnell nurse so i'm just advising against gms throwing 10 million at everybody who seems like they might be really good because it's uh it's not you don't have the space for that yet boys um, okay, I do want to get to the games because uh, we got a couple to catch up on real quick. The Detroit game, they land late. We get a delayed start. Um, the Leafs still managed to blow this one. That was tough. Samsonov coming back. I can't really put much on him. The team played like dog shit. Uh, it's just not a game you can lose. Uh, you know, blowing a lead like that against a team that, you know, they're not bad this year by any means, but you are and should be better. No, you're completely right. And like, with regards to Sammy, he wasn't perfect, but like you said, there was no way in hell you could lay that game at his feet. Um, he made that ridiculous desperation glove save right at the end, and then they end up going and, and getting scored on afterwards, which yet again wasn't his fault. But it, it was really nice to see him come back and, and put together at least a, you know, a, a good, respectable NHL game. Because he's definitely got that and more in him. So that was really good to see. And it was really good to see the fans of, you know, a notoriously quiet building actually get behind him when, you know, they haven't really have much had much to really cheer for with regards to Sammy's play this year. No, and 
really like he didn't play any worse than Jones would have that game. It's not like, you know, they were that he's what lost them the game. So uh, it's just it was kind of uh, another one to chalk up to the bad streak that the Leafs were on uh, and that kind of continued into the Oilers game. There's one interesting point to this that I wanted to bring up before we talk about the game itself. I don't know if this was for everybody, but on the feed I watched, they did not televise the national anthem. I can't really say much to that one. I've had a, a crazy week. Well, last couple of weeks really with work and weather and everything. So I've been missing little bits here and there, and I did not catch the start of that game. Now, with all of the embarrassing anthems this season, I feel like there's more than ever of Americans. I'm sorry to call you guys out. Um, fucking up the Canadian national anthem, like way more than usual. Um, and just some some more technical errors than there normally are um, more controversy like we saw in Winnipeg than, you know, we've seen in any other season. So like most sports do, they do it in the arena, but they don't televise it because what do you need everybody jumping on Twitter and roasting somebody for something that happened when it can just be for like the 16,000 people that are there and they can just be done with, you know, why release this to millions? Like nobody needs to watch this. It's, I don't know. I, I, I've heard that it happens in other sports where they just don't televise it. And this is kind of the first time, at least I've noticed that, you know, the game started and I was kind of, you know, I, I have it on in the background and that hearing it is like the, okay, I know the game's starting soon. And I was waiting for that. And all of a sudden it went to puck drop and I was like, Oh shit, what, what, what did I miss something? <laughs> like, I, I think it goes back to really the history and tradition because that's something that was, a, you know, you have hockey night in Canada, you have anthems, you have, you have um, teams like the Flyers, you know, they used to be big on, uh, shit, what song were they singing beforehand? Mm, the only thing I can think of in my head right now is the Blues with Gloria, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like teams have certain traditions, right? So I think that's one of the things and really hockey's been pretty much a stick in the mud with a lot of things throughout its entire existence. So any kind of change, they fight and fight and fight all the time, right? I feel like it's just strange that the only thing that we do it, like, I mean, obviously in public school you have it, but outside of that, it's like sporting events. And I understand, you know, people argue like, oh, you know, if we're not going to do it here, then when are we going to do it? And my counter to that is if we're only doing it here, why are we doing it? Like, it just seems strange that sports are the only thing that are keeping national anthems going. Like we only ever hear them on like if you're watching, I don't know, what's C-SPAN in Canada, the, um, oh my God, I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, um, if you're watching something like that or like a, uh, I don't know, midnight broadcast of the BBC where they're signing off, like, I don't, I don't know where you'd hear it other than in a school. So it's just, I don't know. It's strange. So the fact that they're. Like my original point, just to avoid people ragging on somebody who's singing live and a song that's really kind of hard to sing for no reason. <laughs> like the American National Anthem is not easy. And then to learn the Canadian one, too, it's just like, you know, some of these people aren't paid. They're just kind of called in to do this. So it's better to not throw them to social media. Well, first off, the American National Anthem, it it it's always... Well, you could consider it hard to sing probably because you can never hear the same version of it sung twice because everybody has to make love to it every time they sing it. Even the guy who was using his guitar in that Leaf game a month and oh a half God, or so ago was so making love funny. to it with his guitar. Like, um, Yeah, yeah. And, and then we've, for, we've for, seen some famous ones like debacles like the Fergie one, you know. Yeah, for some singers, like, yes, it could be stressful, but it's also great exposure. Like, look at Martina Ortiz Louise. She's an incredibly talented singer, and we got to see her sing the anthem at Leaf Games forever. I think there's a difference between having like a homestay that always does it, or, you know, like Nashville, where they, they definitely put effort into it because it's a music town. And some of these teams that you can tell they're just you know, literally phoning in a volunteer, or, like bringing in whatever choir or school or something to do it. And I think. If it's just going to be something like that, you know, don't don't bother 
because I don't know, either set a standard where everyone has to pick somebody for the season that does it or like a series of people that they submit. Like the NHL should have some sort of, you know, hey, you can't just throw anybody out there if we're going to throw this on national TV. Was it like I, I think back to that that one dude who was posting that he like just learned the Canadian anthem before he went out and he butchered it. And like he's not the only one this year. Wasn't it like the Leaf Blue Jacket, one of the Leafs Blue Jackets games? They had like um, jingle bells or something that was anthem. Like maybe stick to singing. What? You didn't see that no. one? It wasn't no. anybody actually singing. It was a whole bunch of people with giant bells doing the anthem. Oh my god, those yeah, 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 yeah. I know you're talking about the hand bells. Yeah. Uh, um, noteworthy thing in the Oilers game, uh, Kane sends JT into Skinner, knocking him down, and Fogel tries to start shit with JT and Leafs Twitter erupts. Fogel, you dirty piece of shit, don't touch my captain. Um, this was, did you see this hit happen? I didn't see this one, no. Okay, so it was one of those things where, um, you know, your goalie gets taken out and you just grab the guy that took out your goalie, but if you see the replay, as always, it's never the attacking player that sends themselves into the goalie. It's always they get shoved in by another uh, defending player. So Vander Kane throws JT into Skinner, knocks him down. They both end up in the net. Skinner's slow to get up. They think he might be hurt. Uh, so Fogel immediately grabs JT and everybody's like pushing him off. Like, don't even, you know, you know, every time someone takes the goalie out, it's 95% of the time. It's not the uh, um, scoring players fault. So yeah, unless one, it's uh, unless it's like Matthew Kachuk or Chris Kreider, then it was the defenseman that pushed him in. Yeah, exactly. Um, otherwise, another lead disappeared. So that one was rough. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't have much else note wise on this game. I stopped uh, one. I don't know. I thought we were going to do one right after it. So I didn't take as many <laughs> in depth notes. Now like, I don't remember as much of the game. And, and I, I hate going here. I'm not trying to join the crazy discourse that's on Twitter with regards to the Leafs and coaching and this and that, but you got to wonder. Like, I, I, I brought it up a couple times earlier in the season on one of our episodes. Like, Keith was given different players this year. He was given a different makeup because... <sighs> They've done little bits here and there over the past couple of seasons, cardio kings that Dubas would bring in. And we love those guys. They, they're high energy. They bring excitement. But it, it hasn't worked. That's basically what's happened Keith's entire tenure is they have a, a core, they have a team, and then they'll bring in little bits and pieces around it. And then Trey Living brought completely different styles of players in. Now, yes, two of them haven't worked with Klingberg and Reeves but he still has a different style. He's not bringing, you know, fourth line guys who have never been anything other than fourth line guys and hoping they're doing better. Like he went out and got big names. He got Domi, he got Bertuzzi, even Klingberg's a big name. It just it clearly didn't pan out because of his health. Like, I, I think you have to give a bit of leeway to him. And I know I, I'm again, like kind of on the fence of this fire Keefe thing. I did throw up a poll. I'll read the results in a sec. Uh, but there is something to be said about, you know, we talked about getting Zadorov and Tanev and the replacement was what Benoit Lagason kind of stepped up. So we just don't worry about it. Like I'm, I know if anyone listens to Dangle's show, they, I really wanted to talk about this and they fucking beat me to it, but I had this typed out in a tweet and I didn't send it because I wanted to talk about it on the show, but really he just kind of avoided making a trade because it, the problem kind of fixed itself, but it didn't fix itself because that's not what you were getting Tan Evans Adorov for. Like Riley needed a partner and Gio needed time off. And, you know, it just, you were supposed to replace Klingberg. Like those things didn't happen. All you did was have a defensively responsible third pair most nights. And, you know, you're watching Gio and Brody both kind of deteriorate and we have nothing to do about it. Like I, I feel like he didn't fix the problem. We've got a fourth line that can't really do anything again tonight. They were completely useless aside from maybe one shift like McMahon and Gregor and Kampf is like, what does that, what's that line supposed to do? 
Like I, I feel like Keefe is kind of doing all he can. I, I don't love throwing the lines in a blender, but I, I see the point of like he's he's making his argument that he doesn't have much else to do other than, you know, I can split Mar- Marner and Matthews apart. Like I can change who their winger is. That's kind of the only feasible, impactful thing I can do. Otherwise, like I ma- I move one guy to another line and everyone's like, well, why would you put him there? Exactly. What would you do? Like, tell me how else to put this line out on the ice and get a different result. I'm I'm between Samsonov, who's underperforming, and Martin Jones, who at any point could regress to Martin Jones. But at the same time, there's got to be, and I know what we've we've praised him before for like previous seasons. The Leafs have been a defensively sound team, team defense wise. They've had lapses. They've had players that. You know, some of us have disliked and and had a lot of issues with some of the things that they do in their game. But you got to start wondering. It, it's been a consistent pattern every single year. They don't show up for the lower teams, blown leads all the time. It's not like you can look at any season in the last handful of years and be like, you know what? No, that that entire year we could count on the Leafs. You know what? They're not going to blow a lead. They're not going to have that big, you know, oopsie game or that big shitty game. I'm not saying that they need to be perfect. They're not going to win 82-0, like go 82-0. But it, it would be nice if you could consistently say, you know what, I know they're going to show up and I know they're going to give a consistent effort and they're not going to just completely, completely make you want to rip every hair out of your head. Well, and it's wild that last year they had an insane amount of points by the end of the season. And I still don't think we can say that last year we went into every game confident that they were going to come out with a win. They won a lot of those by one game. They won a lot of games. They shouldn't have, they blew a lot of games. They shouldn't have. They lost, like you said, to bottom feeder teams, even this year. I mean, yeah, they won against San Jose both times. Wahoo. Love that. You should do that. Beat Anaheim again, should do that, but they've lost to the Sens and like Dangle made the point. They're a 10th of the Chicago Blackhawks wins this year. That's insane. Like you can't be losing to these kinds of teams if the playoffs and an actual run are your goal. And again, like I I don't love some of the coaching decisions Keith has made, and it does seem like the guys are starting to give up on him. But tonight snapped that suspicion because it seemed like they played a shit first period and he went in there. And I mean, I don't know what he said, but it seems like it was guys like if if we blow this game, I'm gone. Like, I hope you know that. And then they came out and played a insane second period. Like, I don't know what else could have woken these guys up between the last three games of bullshit and then playing a second period. Like they haven't since, you know, probably the San Jose game where they won seven to nothing, I think. But it, it shouldn't take that. Like, yeah, no, it and, shouldn't. And, and, and I'm not trying to say like, Yet again, I'm not trying to say that I expect them to be absolutely perfect every single game, but there's a, a level of, of effort and of care that you would want to see be given by the players, shift in and shift out. And some days you can question it with regards to every single player on the team. Like, oh, yes, for sure. It, it's just you've got to wonder if it's something that's that the, the systems that are being done, the structure, the way they practice, like, you got to start thinking and I hate going there because I have liked him in the past and he has done some good things, but most coaches do have some form of a shelf life and there has been instances in the past where a coach will come in, he'll coach for a handful of years and he'll have to go away, go to the minors, go somewhere to be able to learn and grow and then come back and be an even better coach. Like look at Bruce Cassidy. Yeah. He came in with, who was it with the capitals when he first came up? coached a little bit, went away, went into the minors and come. And ever since he's come back up, he's been incredible. He was great with the Bruins and he's been incredible with the Golden Knights. And I mean, look, if you, if you change the coach, like, is this team all of a sudden going to wake up? I don't know, but it, I still don't think it fixes the problem of Brody's deteriorating. Geo's deteriorating. McCabe has thrown some massive hits, but that guy makes a lot of shitty turnovers in his own end. And Lilligren is like learning from watching these guys, you know, just an absolute bonehead play tonight, covering his hand on the puck, taking a penalty when the Leafs are in dire straits to defend this lead. Like it's his firing Keith going to fix all these problems. Like I, I just don't know. 
and but these problems yeah. have been here for years so clearly something he's doing or not doing like i'm not saying he caused the problems but he hasn't been helping fix them yeah i mean if you rewind any of these years like you could throw in all the way back to muzzin you know we saw guys that should be playing better start to fall apart earlier than they should um you know the defense has never really been short up you can blame that on dubas and for living but i think you're right there is an element to like no matter who you get you have to be able to 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 produce because there's other teams that are doing more with less um and if you look at other coaches i mean like john cooper who's like you say about a shelf life i mean if you have the results you you buy more time and respect from the team right like if you can say yeah i brought you guys a cup like the team's going to listen to you that much longer so I think there is an element of that that's starting to sink in. And I think the timing sucks for all this to be kind of coming to a head because it's garbage time of the season. So it's hard to analyze whether this is just like, you know, January shittiness or is this, you know, finally uh, a culmination of problems showing that, you know, the last decision you can make to try to change it is fire Keith. Like, I don't, I don't know, man. But like with with regards to you know is this just january shittiness this is january shittiness that started like second week in december yeah that's true and it everybody only back. forgot about it cuz we won the california road trip like it it's been as they should besides uh, la but as we try to you know put water on the flames in the fall when things uh-huh. are going bad like it's early it's early we can, we still got this we know they're a better team it hasn't improved. They've got results. They've got wins. They've won a handful of games they definitely should not have won, and they've lost games they definitely should not have lost. So you're, you have both sides of the spectrum with that, but there hasn't been the the team play that you'd want to see, right? And it's it's really infuriating because you, you want to be positive. You want to, like at least from my point of view, you want to be positive. You want to cheer for the team like, I get really attached to all the players on the team because I bleed blue and white. But at, at some point, something's got to give. And there's, it, it, it's just not, something's not happening in that room that needs to happen. Like, look at the change in Edmonton when Knobloch came in. They're yeah. actually playing defensively. Okay, yes, Paul Coffey hopped on the bench. But yes, their goaltending kind of solved itself. But, and, and we've, I, I get it. We're on our third string goalie. We've had tons and tons of injuries, but you still have to work on other things. You can't just, well, yeah, this is what we are. Like you're third saying string goalie who played as an NHL starter last year and the year before. So it's not like he's, you know, Michael Hutchinson. Yeah, but it's not, it's also not like he's Mark Andre Fleury or no, he, he, I, I doubt he had more than four or five offers. No, that's fair, but it's not like he's, you know, he's he's holding his own. He's not a nobody. But yeah, um, real quick, the poll that I posted, Keith, uh, is Keith going to be fired when the Leafs get back to Toronto? 43% of you said yes, uh, f- with another 13% of you saying uh, he should be fired before they get back for a total of 56% saying yes and 44% saying no. So it is a lot closer than I thought it was based on the um, tweets I'm seeing. So that just goes to show you that the people that want Keith fired are a lot louder and will express their point much more <laughs> than the people that uh, that think you should stick around or are willing to fight for it at least. So when you just give them, uh, give them a yes or no, they're willing to show their opinion. So very close right down the line. Uh, and... I got to say, that's kind of where I'm sitting. Like, I I feel like it might be the only course of action at this point. Uh, but again, he's signed to an extension. MLSC is unlikely to okay that. I'm surprised they extended him in the first place. I thought it was going to be like, a, let's see how this shakes out. And then, you know, we, we put pen to paper. But, you know, they've, they've kind of handcuffed themselves here if MLSE doesn't want to spend the money on a on a coach to sit and you know unless you're going to go from the inside you're spending a lot more money to bring somebody else in so realistically money should never be an issue with mlse um i don't think it's about the money it's about the the fact that it's paying somebody to to not coach the team and then to pay another person to come in it's about like 
the fact that they just signed the contract. It's wasted money. You know, it doesn't matter if you're worth a billion dollars, you know, you can waste a couple hundred thousand or a couple million. It's still a waste of money, right? Yeah, but look at how much money, extra money you bring in in the playoffs and with playoff series wins and with how Detroit's been on a tear, like there's actually some question if if it's going to be, you know, touch and go to make the playoffs. Yeah, I feel like MLSE operates more black and white shareholder style where it's, you know, you can't sell to investors that spending money might make you win and that might make you more money. Whereas having a stable product that sells out every night, regardless, and yada, 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 we all know the drill. Uh, it's, it just seems like a safe, conservative financially organization. I just, I, I don't think that, like, they paid Babcock to go away. And he was making a hell of a yeah. lot more than Keith. Yes, but I think it's the timing of having just signed it that they don't want to look stupid and waste the money like i don't know i just i find it hard to believe but i would i i would accept it should it happen i wouldn't be like how dare they and you know it shouldn't have happened and you know i've seen coaches fired for a lot less a lot earlier yeah and it also it like who knows what's going on in that room if all of a sudden you start getting matthews or marner disgruntled like those are money printing players with regards to the organization. So it wouldn't take much for one of them to say something and then everything completely changes. Yeah. The stars have uh, quite the power in Toronto, don't they? On the flip side, we just saw the Raptors trade away all but Chris Boucher uh, with now OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam both gone. Only Chris Boucher of the 2019 championship team remains. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I know it's a different sport, but just a drastic different um, way of handling things under the same umbrella, you know, both MLSE teams and one is willing to tear down quickly and, and try to rebuild when things aren't going right and, and sell high on players. And the other is is really quadrupling down on the same group. Well, you also have like with the Raptors, you have a legitimate fear of if you're not good, are you going to be bringing money in? Like you've got 30 years of history with the Raptors and you have well over 100 with the Leafs. Yeah, I don't think the Raptors are in as much of that situation now that they've won a championship and Drake is so heavily involved and they've had you know some bigger players come through and, and there's more attention to the NBA than ever. I, th- I don't feel like they're in as, as much of a worry about that, but I get what you mean. But I feel like they also could have added around like sold on picks, you know, like they, they chose the option of selling high on guys that still had value that are, you know, Siakam's 29, right? Like it wasn't like they, they kept adding around him until he was 35 and then said, okay, well, you know, we got to move on from you now and get what we can get. Like they're, they're really committing to, um, to getting the high picks and, and rebuilding. And it's something that Toronto teams, especially under MLSC, we haven't really seen do. So it's just, it's interesting to see such a contrast between two teams run by the same organization. Well, yes and no. Like they tore it right down to the bare bones before the Matthews draft, won the lottery, and then they've gone from there. Like it, it's yeah. not, like, they also weren't, it's not, it's not like they had two or three Kawhis. Like Kawhi wanted out, so he left. Like Matthews is on a Kawhi level, right? You have a player yeah. that talented. You don't just ship them off for picks. You need to build around it. So not that not to discredit any of those players, and I'm not a basketball expert by any means, but Me as either. far as I can tell, they, they're they very good pieces, very good players, but they're not the type of players that you can build as your cornerstones. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, like OG and, and Siakam were definitely guys that were not number one stars um so yeah it was but i but my i guess my point is is that these are guys that they drafted and brought up and turned into the stars that they are through their own system they could have spent the picks that they have and prospects they have to continue running these guys back and building up around them and they chose not to um and that's just i don't see i don't know 
I guess the point I'm trying to make is we're going to see uh, now that Nylander's re-signed, we're probably going to see another eight years of this exact same team in different forms. And I just, I don't know how ready for that I am. How like, now, like, and that's where it could come back to coaching. Like, how are you not ready to see some of the best players that have ever played for this team, this franchise, play night in and night out? And I it's, feel like we're turning into when the Oilers are bad, though. Like, they let in a bajillion goals. They have the best players in the league on forward, and they it doesn't matter because their defense and goaltending is so bad that and they just they don't play up to their standard every night like i just i feel like i'm watching when the oilers are shit and look at what's happened with different coaching different voice different structure different planning yeah the the roster like the roster is the same the only thing that changed was the coaching and yes it sucks that someone has to potentially lose their livelihood i know they make a lot of money but it at some point you have to pull that trigger like he's had a a long enough leash. He's he has, and he's had a chances. long career, and he's gonna get another job somewhere else. Like it's not like he's gonna be like an Ottawa Senators coach and never coach in the league again. <laughs> I mean, honestly, by all accounts, he might go to Ottawa after <laughs> the Leafs fire him. Yeah, you're probably not wrong. Like basically, what it sounds like with OG. And with Pascal is kind of like the Leafs with Hyman, right? You build the guy up, get him to be the point where everybody wants him, and then he leaves. Except for the fact that the Raptors actually got something for him. Yeah, they got uh, a couple of guys and three first-round picks for Pascal. I mean, I know, again, this isn't a basketball show and picks aren't the same, but my God, three firsts. These trades are nuts. I hope they can get something out of it. Um, yeah, so I guess back to hockey, it's just, I love watching these players do their best. Um, it's just so frustrating, man. I, I think I got to agree with you that maybe it is time we bring in another coach, change up the voice in the room. I don't even know if you were doubling down on that, but I think we've kind of just both talked our way into, we need a new coach. (laughs) Like you, some points that you brought up, you have. Geo and Brody. Now, Brody, there's some rumblings that there's some stuff going on at home, and I know he lost his dad around training camp, so I don't want to dismiss any of that. But if you have players that are tired, then why the hell isn't Legison played in however many games? Why is Timmins only Timmons. played a handful of games? Like, well, I'm not saying bad. Put, I'm not saying put them in and, and play them 35 minutes a night, but give them a game here and there. Like when Gio sat out the back-to-back. Yeah, something like that is a brilliant idea. The guy's 40 years old. He doesn't need to be playing back-to-backs. Oh, yeah. I would just like to point out we called for him to sit, and literally he sat the next game. So (laughs) thanks for listening. Like, And then you talk about the fourth line. So I get it. He's not the type of player that should be there. But if you're trying to juggle lines and you're having offensive struggles, why the hell isn't Robertson playing more? Right. Like every shift he's out there, he plays his ass off. Okay, he's had a couple giveaways. He also dekes the living fuck out of everybody on the ice whenever he gets a chance. He's got a wicked release and he plays every single shift like it's his last. Like that's the type of player you want. He's got the skill set. He was a high end draft pick, so you'd want him in your top six, ideally. But yet again, if you're struggling with offense in a slump, why, like, why bury him? It, it makes absolutely no sense for the amount of ice time he gets. He actually isn't putting up bad results. Give him a little more. Like I love Matthew Nyes, but you can tell he's starting to feel a little bit of the change from collegiate to, you know, full-time pro. Cause the collegiate schedule is so much more practice and training and not games. And the games are a lot more draining. So he's, he's wearing out a little bit. I love Nyes. I'm not saying we need to get rid of him or anything like that, but no, he's he's just not an everyday first line player. He's not conditioned yeah, for that. Not right now. He he will be. I have no doubt in my mind. But just right now, he's not. The I think some of the problem is it appears that you know maybe Keith doesn't have the stomach or the balls to deal with the Toronto media. Like he's so afraid to 
break up the the big boys or to to do this or to do that like it, it could have been dubas before but when he did call out players he's had to walk those comments back before like you're the yeah. coach do what you need to do like it's almost to the point where i would like to have torts as the coach yeah honestly if it if nothing else just to have somebody that doesn't have to walk on eggshells around these guys because there's such a long relationship with them i always seen them all the way up through the marley's to now like somebody needs to come in who doesn't i'm not saying there isn't an advantage to knowing you know all the inner workings of these guys and the little the minutiae the little you know things that make them tick but it's getting a little too much like a family there where people are afraid to say how they feel and someone's just got to come in and say like guys wake the fuck up that was a horrible period and go out to the media like towards does I'm not saying I really don't want him as a coach, but <laughs> like he does where, cause I don't think he is the coach for this team. Uh, but he's not afraid to say, you know, this guy or that guy, we got a couple guys who aren't giving their all, you know, this guy played like shit and uh, we got to be better tomorrow night. And Keith can't really say this guy didn't play well, or that guy didn't play well if their name starts with an M. So like, or an N <laughs> and, and I, I get it. But with his comment the other night, to me, that was the, the nail in the coffin. The 42 games in, and I still have a lot of questions, quite honestly, about who is going to go out and we can say for certain is going to get the job done for us. Especially in contrast to Marner's, you know, I think we played a good game and blah, 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 whatever. Let me pull it up. But it it really speaks to where the team and the coach are at. Like, if, if you don't know that, then why are you even juggling lines? Like, the fact that you can get halfway through the season, and that is what you're saying. Like, unless this is all smoke and mirrors trying to take some of the, you know, trying to get people talking about that rather than this or something else. But I, I don't really, I really don't think that's what's going on. I kind of think it's just, it's it's reached that point trying to find it it's oh my god this is so annoying um yeah we're a great hockey team and we got to ignore what uh anyone else says it's like (sighs) take responsibility for playing worse than you should you know like it shouldn't it's not a bad thing to go out and say you know we didn't play up to our standard we got to be better than that like it doesn't need to be you know but the little victories, you know, we did the little things right. You know, we're going to work on this. That's great. And like, you know, to paraphrase Adam Wilde, that's what you say at practice to the other guys. That's how you keep each other motivated. But don't fucking say that to a reporter. Nobody needs to hear that. No, we almost need like a Devon Taves. Like his comment a couple months ago. I don't know if you remember that one. I forgot. It... Uh, I'm not sure who it was directed. Oh, where he called out like certain players. Yeah, he didn't. So there's he, like some yeah, guys didn't that aren't name anybody, it. but some guys who think we're playing well or who think that we're playing at a championship level. And it's like, ooh, like we don't need a, a Zadorov where they go out every single freaking game and are going to the media. But you know, we might need something like what Taves did because it, it's. Like, I know MLS is <laughs> tight about their rules, but what these guys can say, but JT is not the captain for look. He might be great with the guys at practice and in the room and on the ice and all of that. But when it comes to Toronto, there's such an outward facing presence that this team has that you need to be able to face the media a lot. Um, I'm not saying it's like a requirement for the job, but it definitely helps keep a lot of these things at bay if you're able to go out there and take responsibility. Because if Keefe's not allowed to do it, and JT's not going to do it, and Mitch isn't going to do it, I mean, Riley kind of does when they put him in front of the mic. So, I mean, so does Austin. I say either of them should wear the C and be the one that's allowed to go out and take responsibility as they should be because most of the game falls on the two of them. It's just, it seems like we're, we're throwing guys out there that aren't fully responsible for this team or can't say what they want to. I don't know. It's fucking annoying. 
Like benching camp. Yeah, weird. <laughs> After 389 games or something, and then they get scored on shorthanded. Like, it's it's pretty brutal. The things that they were good at last year that have just disappeared. Um, I know the roster's different, and we were going to have to swallow that it was probably not going to be the same amount of points. But, you know, the, the grit's there, the snot. Good job, Trey. You brought in some snot. That's finally showing its head in Simon Benoit, who you had, I don't think, any hand in bringing in. <laughs> but, uh, hey, we're here, and um, everything else is starting to fall apart. So I don't know if the cold was worth it. Like, all this being said. Some playoff time, I don't know. Well, let's get to if the playoffs make, first. I was that supposed to my addendum. If they still make the playoffs and they don't completely tank, um, maybe this team performs better in that kind of scenario. But right now it just seems like they can't put a full 60 together. The goaltending is mediocre and they have like mm, two reliable defensemen that you definitely can't play together because please do not put Simon Benoit back with Morgan Riley as much as they're the only two that can do anything right now. Uh, Benoit is not ready to take on the likes of Connor McDavid and uh, Nathan McKinnon. Well, we say that now there was a time when, and it didn't last, but there was a time when the, the kryptonite for McDavid was friggin' Justin Hall. As much as yeah, I just, dislike the guy, he had went a stretch of time where every single time we played the Oilers, he just shut McDavid down. He's good without the puck. Justin Hall is very good without the puck. We don't need to be getting into that. We didn't do a show after the Detroit game. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Most of the time. His positioning in front of the net on close-up things, questionable. But like zone entries, that was his his strength. He didn't get watched too often. Anyways. um, (laughs) So so enough of the the fire coach talk. It it was good good to see them break the slump. Wasn't a, a Mona Lisa by any means, but a win's a win. Um, Maddie, Poppy throwing the team on his back, getting the hattie. Two called back goals for the Flames. Holy shit. And one on like, a kick. And as, as bad oh, as it. Oh, wait, no, that one didn't get called back. That, that one, one didn't get called back, no. No, fucking stupid. Which, it's that's like the same thing that happened with that. What was it? the New Jersey game when we had three games or three goals against us called back. Remember oh, that yeah. from last year? And it, it, basically that same scenario happened and it worked in our favor. Um, so those are kind of a crapshoot, but like even the puck luck tonight, it, it, it still wasn't really going our way. Like look at the cadre goal. Oh my God. And Bertuzzi is snake bitten as all hell like this guy could have a wide open net and he's going to hit the post every time mm-hmm. so like we've been a little doom and gloom so far this episode i think just kind of venting over the past week and a half two weeks but yeah it's been a really shitty run but it it, it has been and we haven't really had this dark of a run since, since we started this well since you started this podcast i wasn't here for the very beginning um beginning of last year we were talking about trading Marner so I we can go back and watch the tape I think I was trying to fan the flame or spray the flames down a little bit on those too um but point being there's been some rough rough times yes even in the last three years and who's been at the helm for that whole time but anyways um Brendan Shanahan the Shanna plan yeah. Uh, we also had that uh, that hand pass called back. Finally, one imme- goes our way. My immediate reaction was, oh, my God, if this isn't called a hand pass and that fucking Clayton Keller, Morgan Riley yep. bullshit drop out of the hands is a hand pass. I'm done. This league is so inconsistent, stupid. So thank God. That was the immediate, <laughs> like the exact thing that my mind went to right away. Oh, so thank God they called this one a hand pass. It's such a stupid rule. Like if Kadri can take a shot and it can go off of someone's leg off 
and like into the net or, you know, another night where you can shoot it off of some guy's ass and off some other guy's shoulder and it goes in. It's like it's so stupid. The gray area of like it can go off of anything, but you can't hit it. It can't hit your hand if you're somewhat intentionally moving your hand to hit the puck and it can't go to, like you're allowed to catch the puck and pass it down to yourself. If you go to catch the puck and you miss it and you deflect it to one of your teammates, that's a hand pass. That is fucking stupid. Because they could by the video review be like, well, you moved your hand intentionally towards the puck. Yeah. Cause I was trying to catch it because that's something I'm allowed to do. Like, this is a rule I got to fix. I'm sorry. This is so stupid. Like, when I watch that getting called back and they say, oh, yeah, that's disallowed because it's a hand pass. I look at it and go, really? Like, that's against us. And I'm like, did that make the difference? Like, we had five, six more chances to stop this puck from going in the net. I don't think that was the difference maker. That didn't give them this world-breaking advantage. Like, I don't know. I get that you can't like closing your hand on the puck. Sure. But like a deflection off of your fucking hand to a teammate is so stupid. I don't know. Well, that's like it. NHL rules. Yeah. That's almost like the kicking thing. Like I get it. You've got swords on your feet, but kicking. like realistically, if it gets in the net, it gets in the net. Um, But that's the, that's also the way the rule has been forever. And like I commented a little earlier, the NHL is very, very resistant to change. I mean, rules change literally every season. Like, that's something that could easily kind of, hey, this is how we're calling hand passes now. You actually have to close your hand on the puck and, like, throw it to another person. I don't know. Um, What else we got? I think that's it. <laughs> I wanted to talk about beer prices, but I don't have the link up anymore. <laughs> um, oh, actually, I do. Never mind. Can you guess? I don't know if you saw this. This is from the Toronto Sun. I didn't see it. Um, the Of the Canadian teams, of the seven Canadian NHL teams, uh, who do you think has the most expensive beer? Well, I would instantly assume it was Toronto, but... I'm going to say probably Vancouver. Vancouver is second. Uh, Rogers Arena, a 24 ounce of Budweiser is 1950 plus a 25 cent fee for a single use cup totaling. Um, that math doesn't make sense. <laughs> oh, uh, 1625 for a 20 ounce cup. So that the way they wrote this makes no sense. So it's it's nineteen seventy five for twenty four ounce or sixteen fifty for a twenty ounce. Okay, so Vancouver's second. The Leafs are fourth. Scotiabank Arena, uh, twenty ounce of Coors Light is thirteen fifty. You got one more guess. And it was just the Canadian teams. Yep. Um. The only other one I could think of, like, to me, it's got to be Winnipeg or Montreal. I'll say Montreal because I've been to Edmonton. Well, it's been a long time since I've been to Calgary, but I've been to both those arenas and it didn't seem outrageous. All right. So in seventh, we've got Winnipeg's Canada Life Center, where a 16 <laughs> ounce of Bud costs you seven twenty five, or a uh, 20 ouncer for nine oh six. In sixth place, we have the Calgary Flames at the Coast Bank Saddle Dome. Where it costs you ten seventy five and thirteen seventy thirteen forty five respectively. Then in fifth we have the Edmonton Oilers Rogers Place where it's fifteen bucks for twenty ounce. Fourth, like I said, we have the Toronto Maple Leafs. Third, the Montreal Canadiens where a twenty ounce costs you sixteen dollars. And first place, the fucking Ottawa Senators where a sixteen ounce of Belgian Moon is fourteen dollars, or uh. Which is crazy because they're the only one other, no, outside of a couple of them. But yeah, so 16 ounces, uh, $14 and a 20 ounce is $17.50, which makes it a whole uh, dollar more than Vancouver. And Lauer's got to pay for that uh, 
that um, fine they got for the Dadnov situation. <laughs> and for um, what was the other one? Didn't they get fined for something Pinto's else? Pinto's lawyers. Probably, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't go there. And all the, all the the uh, the backlog of invoices that uh, Melnick had sitting around, unpaid. Um, yeah. So surprisingly, the senators at the CTC here. So that's that's great. I always thought beer was expensive there. I didn't know I was paying more than everybody else. <laughs> Speaking of arenas, before we sign off, I absolutely loved that the oilers game was so hype the crowd like the let's go oilers go leafs go back and forth like all night and uh, i can't help but wonder how is it that we can get every arena full like how is it that there's so many more corporate seats at the leaf games i don't get it money but you'll sell them either way. Like you can sell them to fans. I don't understand. Add more executive boxes. But like, they, they don't. I don't. They don't care. Like they'll charge whatever they want. They can charge more and more and more. And businesses are going to pay it. Executives are going to pay it because it's like a. a, a, a they're writing an office bragging of thing, expense. right? Uh, go courtside to a fucking Raptors game or something. Like I don't understand. Like it's, I just don't get going to a hockey game to sit there silently and like talk business or something or like, I don't know. It's just not the atmosphere for it. Oh, it's definitely not. Anyway, um, you weren't here. What do you think of the, uh, the all-star jerseys? My initial thought was kind of meh. Like they're not amazing. They're not horrible. Um, to me, they kind of give a vibe of like old school, like original all-star jerseys from way back in the day. So I kind of thought maybe that was where they were going with it. But I, I probably won't be buying one. I don't at this point, I don't own a single all-star jersey. So I, I don't think I'll be adding one of those. But it's also these kind of things aren't designed for people in my age group either. <laughs> okay um i didn't know this they're doing okay 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 holy shit there's on the nhl shop site i'm sharing this this is insane the name's on the bottom isn't it no 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 that that's a whole thing i don't i like the jerseys i don't like the the drew drew house font um what you see here is here we've got the men's all-star Adidas X Drew, right? These are all the Adidas X Drew mm-hmm. for 209. Look at this. For 165, you can get the Fanatics one. They they literally fanatixed on their site, you can get two different like a higher quality version. You've almost always been able to do that though. Like way back when it was Reebok, you had the Reebok like just a Reebok jersey, and then you had, they called it like the Edge 2.0 or something like that, which was basically what they were on the ice. But I've never seen where they just drop them side by side at the same time like this for like a special jersey, where it's like, yeah, you can, do you want to spend $40 less on this, $45 less? That seems so strange. Like it's not that much cheaper, and it's like almost an identical product. Like what's the... What's the difference? Like, obviously, it has the Adidas thing. This is, looks higher quality. But the, the craziest thing about this to me is that the NHL is openly admitting that Fanatics is a lesser product while also signing on to have Fanatics do everything. Yeah. But, like, you'll have people like me, like, when it comes to actual jerseys, if, if I have the choice, I'm not going to be buying a Fanatics one. But you won't have the choice. No, I know. So I just have to live with garbage jerseys for the rest, or for at least the duration of that agreement. Yeah, I forgot how long it is, but yeah, silly. Okay, um, that's all from us tonight. Anything you want to uh, leave the people with? Um, not anything right now. We gotta, we gotta try to be optimistic still. As much as I 
ripped on Keefe at this point. He is still our coach, so get get the boys prepared and go to the next game. Yeah, and again, like I'm not trying to sound negative after a crazy game from Matthews. Um, I kind of just started into evaluating his value. You know, <laughs> uh, I hope my sounds worked. I was missing a bunch of them on the last episode. I apologize if there were some gaps. Uh, for some reason, my soundboard deleted all of my explosion sounds. I had all these little booms going. Uh, Darty's theme song dropped out. I don't know what's going on. So hopefully the uh, the one explosion I did for the Ottawa Sense reveal there worked. <laughs> uh, as always, you can catch us um, YouTube uh probably tomorrow it is well it's friday if you're listening to this so sometime later today probably and otherwise we're on uh, all your favorite platforms thanks for tuning in where it's never too late for the leaves leaves light night presented by inside the drink Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Leafs Late Night, your night of post-game podcast. Available after every game on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, and more. I miss Justin Hall.